encounters improve the quality of our lives. Encounters come to reveal to us the futility of life without God. Encounters will activate purpose and calling in our life. Encounters come to restore intimacy and fellowship. The land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea, beyond Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people which sat in darkness saw a great light, and to them which sat in the region and the shadow of death, light is sprung up. Encounters come to restore intimacy. Encounters come to reveal to us the futility of life. If you don't have a relationship with God, anything of value can become God to you. Welcome to Encounter Jesus Ministries, sustaining an experiential knowledge of God and walking in the fullness of our eternal ordination. Now, listen to God's servant, Apostle Oropo Michael, as he takes us through an encounter with the world. Yesterday, I began looking at um, three things that makes us relevant in God's agenda. If you are not relevant, you, your existence will literally not count. It will not count because you will not impact the realm of men, and it will not count because your life will not bring glory to God. This is why being relevant with God and with man is very important. But relevance is not a gift. Relevance is something you grow into deliberately. Ask anybody who is making impact. He didn't just appear there. He grew into it. And for you to grow into a place where you are relevant with God and relevant with man, there are a few things you need to understand. When I read scriptures, there are things I see sometimes that trouble me, but I don't sense that God wants me to de deal so much with mysteries, and that's why I'm not delving into all of that, and because it's important to be sensitive to know what God wants to give to people part-time. But when I study the scriptures, there are a few things that I see that stir my heart so much. For example, and these things are mysteries. You can't really explain them in full scope, but you can't deny the fact that if you are reasonable, it will trouble you. And one of such things is the fact that a man would die and God will mobilize angels to go and get his body. And there will be war between angels and devils over the dead body of a man. When I meditate on these scriptures, I can't get over them. And I'm asking myself, who was Moses in God's agenda that he was so important? The Bible says flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom. And when men die, their bodies are discarded. He said, you came from the dust. And he said, you will return to the dust. The body is discarded for decomposition. Why would somebody else die and God is interested in his body? The devil is interested in his body and an archangel will be mobilized to go and fight to retrieve his body. What is it about this guy? 
can't, I, I can't get over these things. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to tell you what relevance is about. That some people, when their time on earth is over, God wants to preserve their physical future as a memorial and keep it for everlasting so because of the impact they have in God's agenda. How can a man be that relevant? And then I studied the life of Elijah and I saw that Elijah was given four lifetimes. He lived when it, when it was time to die. God said, no, you can't die. We will take you to heaven. We will need you in another generation. And the, Elijah will be carried to heaven. Jesus is about to come and the angel will come and tell um, Zacharias that the child you will give birth to will go, not in the spirit of the Almighty, not in the power of the Holy Ghost, that the child you will give birth to will go in the spirit and in the power of Elijah. And I'm wondering, so it's not in the spirit of God that he will go, it's in the spirit of another creature. He will go in the spirit and in the power of Elijah. And as if that is not enough, Jesus shows up and Jesus is about to go to the Mount of Transfiguration and Elijah shows up again. And Elijah is telling him what he will do in Jerusalem. And Jesus is telling you again that Elijah will still come as one of the two witnesses in Revelation 11 to fight the battle of the last day. What do these men know? Meanwhile, we, we are here praying, God, preserve my life. God, keep me. There are other people who want to die. God say you can't die. I need you. You cannot die. The Bible spoke about Simeon. When Jesus was born, Simeon came to the temple. The moment he saw Jesus and prophesied, Simeon began to thank God. Now I can go in peace. That means the prayer point of Simeon is, I want to die. I want to go to God. So there are people who don't have business praying for long life. Even if they want to go, God says, you are going nowhere. You know too much to live here. If you leave, men will be in trouble. So that means their existence on earth is an insurance for men. Paul said, when I leave you, he said, grievous wolves shall come and plunder you. So there are men that because they are present, other men are in safety. You, you, are you trying to get the point we are making? Relevance. Now, Paul was on his way to Damascus to trouble the church. And Jesus appeared to him in glory. A man meets Jesus in glory. And Jesus will tell Paul, go to the city. You will be told what you will do. I thought when you meet Jesus, you have had the highest encounter. A man meets Jesus in his glory. And Jesus refers him to another man. And then Jesus will go and meet that man and say, this man called Saul is in Damascus. Go and pray for him. And the man is telling Jesus, why should I go? Is it not the same person who was plundering the church? So, another person is negotiating with God about another person's destiny. And Jesus is telling the man, don't worry, I have a great assignment for him. He said, okay, no problem, I will go. And you have an encounter with God in your own privacy. Another person walks up to you and says, the Jesus that appeared to you sent me. So your encounter that you think is private, somebody else knows it. And he said, now, rise up. And he lays hands on him and ordains him into the apostolic office. And Paul is doing great things. And this man is not even popular. He goes back and hides. But he's a gatekeeper of his city. You will not leave this world until you are relevant. 
you will not live here. When you read the early church, you will not see birthdays. They didn't celebrate birthdays. They celebrated death days. They didn't care how you came. They are interested in how you go. Because how you come can be biological. But how you go is, is impact. It matters. What is your signature in God's agenda? God needs to help our generation. I don't want to go into mysteries. So let's do some Bible study. <laughs> if you think on these things, you won't sleep well. You will wake up at 2 a.m. and say, Lord, use me. What am I doing on it? You will wake up at 4 a.m. You say, Father, help me, help me. It's not car you are looking for. Let my life count. I can't walk through Zambia and I'm 60 years, I'm 50 years, I'm 40 years, I'm 30 years, and there's no signature in the land. My generation is not yet aware that I came. What am I doing here? Meanwhile, there are men that have lived and left the earth. Many generations have passed. You still can't do without them. Till today, you are reading the writings of Moses to know God. Till today, you are reading the writings of Paul. He left before your great-grandfather was born. He still left relevant. You, in your own generation, your own, you have not died. You are in your generation. You are not yet relevant. So the moment you go, after one week, even your family will forget you. They will cry on the funeral day. After one week, they will start living their life. The banker will go to bank. The lecturer will go for lecture. They will say, ah, yes, our brother was... Even your whole family won't keep you for one year in memory. Meanwhile, there's somebody else that you are not connected to by blood. But till tomorrow, you remember that person. You talk about that person. You study that person. You is still impacting your generation. Existence is more than breathing. It is a life of impact. And we must all become relevant in our generation. We will become relevant. Please sit down. Let me touch some things quickly. I want to do Bible study. Maybe in the evening we will go there. In the evening, during the revival service we will go there. But I told you yesterday, I said there are three basic things that you must have if your life will be relevant. I said, number one, you must know God and know Him well. Because you can't represent one that you do not know. And we took our time to explain what it means to know God from a revelational standpoint, from a faith standpoint, and from a consecration standpoint. I said, number two, to be relevant, you must be discipled. Because you must be taught the ways of God for you to be able to bring administration to the things of the spirit and then number three I say you must serve God and not yourself if you live to serve yourself you'll be small those your problems you think are big are really very small it's because you are not yet big in God that's why you think your house rent and your car is a big deal when you become big in God you discover that those things are too small an issue to pay attention to I'm telling you a life of impact is not concerned about personal things they are byproducts if you are making impact at certain levels, those things will not be prayer point. The reason they are so big is because we are not making impact. So when you start living to serve God, God now addresses your needs so that your needs are not a distraction. So if you want to be relevant, 
you must know God. If you want to be relevant and impactful, you must be well discipled. And if you want to be relevant, you must serve God's agenda, not yourself. Having dealt with knowing God, this morning, let me talk about discipleship a little bit. So that we will know the qualities that God expects us to have. For him to be able to entrust his agenda to us. Now, you know that God may love you and he loves all of us here equally. But he cannot entrust the same thing to all of us. Even those of us who are parents here, we know. No matter how you love your child of six years old, you won't give him your car. You won't give your company to him. That kingdom is not about love. It's about maturity. God does not entrust kingdom to you because he loves you. He entrusts kingdoms to you because you are mature. And when a man becomes mature, there are indicators that show. And for everyone who is a disciple, there are parameters. I thought this thing two weeks ago when I was in Cameroon and the Lord dropped it in my spirit. He said, when you travel around, teach this thing so that people will know what to focus on. Because most times we don't know what to focus on. Some people think impact is popularity. And so they will do everything to become popular. But their life is not glorifying God. Their life is not stopping the agenda of the devil. And their life is not transforming men. If you are not glorifying God, stopping the devil and transforming men, no matter how popular you are, it means nothing. But you see, for your life to glorify God, for your life to stop the oppression of darkness, and for your life to transform men, you must be well discipled. If not, you will make a lot of harvest for the devil. Listen, when you become passionate, and the devil discovers that you have strong passion, he may not try to stop you. What he will try to do is to allow you manifest so that you will have harvest in your destiny. You know, when God, Jesus, was announced at Jordan, this is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased, the devil knows that it will be a wasted effort to stop him now. So what the devil did was to negotiate with him. You can go with popularity, but what we will do is that we, will have, we want to have a harvest in your life. That's why somebody thinks impact is popularity and it becomes popular. But the devil plants loss in him. And he, he, he does ministry for 10 years. He has disflowered 40 ladies. And all the 40 ladies he disflowers, they no longer believe in men of God. And now what they are living for is to destroy people. And so they don't think immorality is anything. Because if apostle, if prophet is doing it, then why am I stressing myself? So he has mobilized 40 young ladies to destroy 1,000 families. Because those ladies will end up sleeping with maybe 20 married men each. Now the, the fear is no longer there. Ah, prophets are doing it. Apostles, what are you talking about? So this apostle can have a crusade. This prophet can have a crusade. And win 1,000 souls. But he has also sent 40 agents into that locality. And so as he's winning souls, those agents are also destroying families. So the devil won't stop the assignment. But the devil will have a harvest in his ordination. And because the devil will have a harvest in the nation, no matter what he does, he cannot be impacted in the eyes of God. Because the bigger he becomes, the greater destruction he will cause. There are many presidents, many governors, and many senators that will never take Christianity serious again. Because all the prophets they met were only interested in money. And so as far as they are concerned, all these people carrying color are looking for money. And so there's nobody who can instruct the king 
and say, know the Lord. And because you met three, four presidents and you couldn't show them the law of God, those presidents will now go to their country and pass laws and live carelessly and a nation will be affected. Some of the nations where you see gay legalized today, some of the nations where you see violence today, if those kings were genuinely transformed when they met apostles and prophets, they would have passed a different law now that they are in power. But the problem is that when they met them, they were only interested in taking money. And so they couldn't tell them the truth of God's word. And because they were not transformed, now they have authority over a nation. And so anything they do will affect the whole nation. But that is happening because they met one man of God that God created a kairos time that they didn't utilize. This is why before God sends us out, we must be discipled. If we are not discipled, we will waste divine opportunities. And I can tell you, many have wasted divine opportunities. This is why our world is in darkness. So impact is also a function of discipleship. And this morning, I want to show you six indicators that a man has been discipled. Because when you are discipled, there are markers. There are markers that show that you have been discipled. Every disciple has a badge. And I will show you, disciples are not difficult to spot. Christians can be many, but when you find disciples, you will know. In Acts chapter 9 verse 26, when Paul was converted and he came to Jerusalem, he wanted to join the disciples, they stopped him. Project the scripture. He said, and when Saul had come to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and did not believe that he was a disciple. So when you are a disciple, they know. There's no way you can masquerade into disciples because there are markers that show who they are. There are indicators that show who they are. And it is disciples that God can entrust. In fact, God will not send you with authority into your generation until you are first of all discipled. In Luke chapter 6 verse 13, hear what the Bible said. It said, And when it was day, he called unto himself his disciples, and of them he chose twelve, whom he also named apostles. The word apostle is the word apostolos. It means a sent one. So before God sent them, he first of all discipled them. So if you are not a disciple, you cannot be sent with the authority to impact your generation. You cannot have the authority to stop darkness and you cannot bring glory to God. So even God himself has a quality assurance system. And the quality assurance system is that discipled first before you are sent. If you are not discipled, you will not be sent. So who is a disciple? There are certain markers that show that you have become a disciple. And I will touch them very quickly this morning and see how far the Lord can help us. The first sign that you have become a disciple is that the love of God will be activated in your heart. When you want to know a disciple, you will not know him first by a gift. You will know him first by the depth of the operation of love. He is inundated by love. It is by the operation of love that you can find a disciple amongst Christians. In John 13, 34 and 35, here is what the Bible said. Jesus was speaking to them. He said, a new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. He said, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples 
if you love one another. See the problem we have today. We have not touched love, but we want to touch power. And so the moment a man comes into the kingdom, he thinks what he needs is power. Meanwhile, a man who does not have love, if you give him power, he's a dangerous equipment. Welcome. Because what he's thinking of is his ego, is his pride. This is why today you find a lot of battles in the body of Christ. One person bewitching the other, another one fighting the other person, and we are not concerned about kingdom advancement. So long as it's not me that God is using to make him part, I'm not part of it. And any other person God is using, I can destroy that person. In the body of Christ today, pastors are setting up pastors so that they can be disgraced out of ministry. In the body of Christ today, we don't even preach Christ anymore. Pastors are preaching themselves and they call it Rema. And then you are hoping that those who are following will know Jesus Christ. You have problem with somebody, you come to the altar, you preach that person, and you taste revelation. And then you are thinking that the people who are listening to you will know God. They can never know God. That's why go to most of the ministries of the major frontline speakers of the world. They don't have disciples. We brag that we have been in ministry for long, but you can't see the fruits. I'm not talking about few people that are on the internet. Go to the location where the preachers are. See if you will find Christians there. You will be shocked. Because it is the same malice, it is the same gossip, it is the same backbiting, it is the same wickedness that you will find there. Because the way spirits work is that they are not only interacting with the cognitive explanation, they are interacting with the energy that you are emitting. And so if the energy you are emitting is bitterness, if it is insecurity, that is what the people will become. Because they will interact with it. And so Jesus is telling us, if we want to make impact, transform people genuinely, deal with Satan and glorify God, love must dominate us. If love has not dominated us, we are not like Christ. And we cannot represent Christ. In First John chapter 4 verse 8, the Bible said that, God is love. So when a man begins to grow in love, he's beginning to wear Jesus Christ. It is that appearance of Christ that will make him powerful to his generation. In fact, when you are studying kingdom maturity, the zenith of kingdom maturity is not power, it's love. Study Ephesians chapter 4 from verse 11. He said, to some he gave to be apostles. He said, to some he gave to be prophets. He said, to some he gave to be evangelists. He said, to some he gave to be pastors and teachers. And he said, for the perfecting of the saints. The word perfecting is the word catechismus. It means to equip with light. He said, for the work of the ministry. And he now began to show us different levels of maturity. He said, for the edifying, for the growing of the body of Christ. He showed us seven levels of edification. Seven levels of maturity. And number one, he said from verse 13, until we all come to the knowledge of the unity. The unity of the faith. So when people begin to mature, they will first of all realize that we are one body. So if your right hand cannot hurt your left hand, you should not be able to hurt a brother in church. If you can hurt a brother, if you can hurt a sister who is a Christian, if you like the seen angels, you are a baby in the kingdom. If you have not seen that we are one body, listen, when your body is sick, you treat it. That's how it works. You treat it. Until your body goes to a point of no return, that's when you can cut off. 
They say it's when your body is leading you to hell that you can separate from it. But if it's not leading you to hell and you can treat it, manage it, he said, bear one another's body. Therefore, you fulfill the law of Christ. I'm not saying we should endorse those who have become wolves in sheep clothing. But I am saying when a brother is overtaken by a thought, those who are stronger should restore him because we are one body. That's the first level of maturity. The unity of the faith. And he said the second level of maturity is the knowledge of the Son of God. You begin to know Jesus by experience. Because when Jesus sees your heart, if you read that scripture that I just read for us from John 13, you will see what he said. He said, if we love one another, we have obeyed his commandment. And he said, him and the Father will come and tabernacle in us. So as you walk in love, in unity, you will now discover that Jesus will begin to come to you by revelation. And he said, when that happens, you come to the third level of maturity. What's the third level? He said, unto a perfect man. Who is a perfect man? A perfect man in this context is not a sinless man. A perfect man is a man that has authority over his emotion, over his flesh. Because James chapter 3 verse 2 said, if a man is perfect, he has a law over his tongue. That means he doesn't operate by his emotions. He doesn't operate by his impulses. He is now strong enough to tame his appetite. He may feel something, but he doesn't mean he must do it. Because he's not ruled by his feeling. So you move from unity of the body, you come to the knowledge of Christ, you come to power over your emotion. See the body of Christ today, when somebody is angry, he strikes everybody. No control. When somebody feels emotional towards anybody, the next thing he goes and fornicates with that person. No control. So there's no maturity. When we become mature, we will not do what we feel like. We will do what the Holy Ghost permits. That's what he calls a perfect man. And then he goes further. He now told us, we come into the fullness of the measure of the statue of Christ. That is living by the principles of Jesus. And so a man who is mature now, is not just able to tame his emotions. He does what Jesus does in every situation he finds himself. He begins to live by the principles of Christ. So if that man has money, he doesn't just buy a car because he loves a car. If he has money, he will spend that money the way Jesus prescribed that money will be spent. Part of the money will go to kingdom advancement. Part of the money will go to charity. Then little part of the money will come to himself. That's how Jesus lived. The principles of Christ. If that man wakes up, he begins his day with prayer. Because Jesus began his day with prayer. So he begins to live according to the principle of Christ. Because of that, his path to become narrow. When you find Christians involved in everything, it means they have not found the principle of Christ. They can watch football match from the beginning of the season to the end. The Holy Ghost doesn't have authority to tell them this week, stay indoor. But the way Christ lived is that he was led of the Spirit. So when you find a mature believer, he does not function the way he likes. He's not creative about destiny. He is obedient. He follows the leading of the Holy Ghost. Because that's how Christ lived. And he doesn't stop there. He said he comes to a point of understanding of sound doctrine. He said, henceforth, not tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. So he now has understanding of the truth of God's word. Because when you find believers that are not mature, anything that is trending, that's what they do. If they say now, what is trending is prayer movement. They are into prayer movement. If they say now, what is trending is prophetic movement. They become prophets. If they say now, what is trending is apostolic. They become apostolic. If they say now, what is anything that is trending, that's what they do. And the spiritual one is not even bad. It's the worldly one that is a problem. 
If they are barbing hair cut today and they cut the whole of here, the next thing you see Christian tomorrow, the whole hair is cut. And it's a servant of him. <laughs> if they are wearing fubu jeans today, he's wearing fubu. If they go to skin jeans, he's going to skin. If they start wearing pants, he start wearing pants. Anything that is trending, he's tossed to and fro. And when you want to talk, he looks for a scripture to justify his instability. High level immaturity. See them in six years. They are six different people. Every year they follow the trend. And they do it in doctrine. They do it in lifestyle. Paul said, if you are like that, you are not mature. Now you move from unity of the body, knowledge of the Son of God, unto a perfect man, unto the fullness of the stature of Christ, not tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. Then you come to the sixth level. In Ephesians 4.15, he says, speaking the truth in love. So any knowledge you have, any power you have, any doctrine you know, if love is not in you, you are not mature. Because love is higher than doctrine. Love is higher than knowledge. Love is higher than power. If you don't have love in you, you are not a disciple. That's what Jesus is saying. And if you don't have love in you, even the power you have, the devil will use it to destroy people. And he will use it to stop the work of God. But when you see the life of Jesus, he was motivated by love. Even on the cross, in pain, he looked down and said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. If I was the one on the cross, they know what they are doing. <laughs> because you cannot carry nail and hammer and put on my leg and nail it, nail it, and you don't know what you are doing. But see, he was talking from a superior realm. He knew they were manipulated by devils. So he overlooked their ignorance. And instead of being offended at them, he was praying for them. After all, he was on the cross to save them. That's the depth of love. So when Paul was teaching the church in Ephesus, in Ephesians 3.15, his prayer for them was to know the depth, the breadth, the height, and the length of the love of God. That passes knowledge. In 1 Corinthians 13, 13, he said, there are three things that abide. Faith, hope, and love. And he said, of all of this, he said, love is the greatest. The body of Christ is full of arrogance, bitterness, anger, pain, animosity, jealousy, insecurity. And so when you receive our messages in the, in, the, in, in the balances of God, you will discover that very little can pass through. Because only what is Spoken in love can impart a generation. It says, speaking the truth in love. When you get there, then you move to the next level. Look at Ephesians 4.15. See what you will now become. When you get to love, see what you will become. Ephesians 4.15. Quickly, help me. Help me, help me, help me. See what it says. It says, speaking the truth in love. When you come to love, see the next thing it said. That you may grow into, in, in, you may grow up in all things into him who is the head, even Christ. So when a man enters love, that man becomes like Jesus. He begins to reflect Jesus. So when you are looking for Jesus, if you see that man, you will see Jesus Christ. That's why in 1 Corinthians 11 verse 1, Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. John was speaking, he said, as he is, so are we, not in heaven, in this world. Because they have been made perfect by love. And so the first mark of the disciple is love. And then you are asking, but what is love? Is this to hug my brother? No. 
Galatians 5.22 gave us what the definition of love. It said the fruit of the spirit is love. He now began to show all the different dimensions of love. And see what he gave us. He said joy. He said peace. He said long suffering. You know what long suffering is? It means to suffer for long. Somebody insults you today. He insulted you yesterday, you forgive him. He insulted today, you forgive him. And you still forgive him tomorrow in case he chooses to insult you. That's long suffering. He now said goodness. He said kindness. That means if you are even helping somebody and somebody comes there, he may be confused thinking you are the one they are helping. It's not this one that you want to give somebody one quarter. You now, you now dehumanize the person. Because you want to give him one quarter. He will lie down. He has no life anymore. And the whole world will know that you gave him one quarter. No. He said goodness. You, when you are helping people, they don't lose their integrity. They don't lose their personality because you are helping them. Because the money is not the help. It's to become, it's to have value. That's what the help is. Because I can give you money and devaluate you. I can give you position and you will lose yourself worth in Christ. So the help is not the money. The help is not the position. It's to help the person realize value. That's what goodness is about. That only what you, you desire to be done to yourself should be done to somebody else. All of that, Paul calls it law. He said faithfulness. That means there's no room for betrayal. You can be trusted. You can be reliable. Because when you give your word to somebody, you stay there. You are faithful. You are faithful that you can be trusted. Not this generation. The moment we have an opportunity, we strike those who help us. What a world. And we show up, everybody has power. All of us want to rebuke Satan. All of us want to raise the dead. <laughs> Relax. The first mark of a disciple is to love one another. He said, this is how the world will know that you are my disciple. Why do you think the world laughs at most, most, most of the church? It's because they can't see love. When somebody gossips somebody, it's Nathaniel gossiping Peter. If somebody wants to blackmail somebody, it's Sandra blackmailing Jennifer. Even the ones who bear Jesus are like that. A Christian's name is Jesus, but he's swindling people. There's no love. And because there's no love, there's no discipleship. If Jesus disciples you, love will inundate you. See the way they lived in the early church in Acts chapter 4, verse 34 and 35. See what the Bible said. Just to give you one example, physical example of what happened in the early church. It says, Nor was there anyone among them that lacked. In the whole church, nobody had lack. It's not because the Holy Ghost opened the gate of heaven. It's not because a miracle happened. I'm trying to show you how love was manifested in that church. He said there was none among them that lacked. Why? He said for all who were possessors of lands and houses, sold them, brought the proceeds of the things that were sold. And see what they did. He said they laid it at the apostles' feet. And he said distribution was made to everyone that had need. You want to know why the early church was so powerful? This is one of the reasons. A whole church, nobody was in lack. That means if I come to church and I see that people are hungry, I can't sleep. I will go home, take money from my account, bring to pastor and say, please, some people are hungry, you can distribute. 
nobody needs to announce me and say this is the big partner. No, it's, it's love. So much so that people, imagine you have land, land that you should save for your own child. You come to church, people don't have clothes, people can't pay school fees. You go and sell the land and bring the money and say some people can't pay school fees. And the apostle too will not go and buy Lamborghini. <laughs> because our apostles now we're only interested in Lamborghinis and Ferraris. So we don't care. In fact, when the poor comes, we accuse them. The reason you are poor is that because you are not a giver. Because that's all we know about empowerment. I'm not against giving. I know the power of giving. And I give. And I teach my people to give. But there is a level where before the person gives, do distribution. <laughs> Some people, what they need is distribution. They will have distribution first. Let them touch the love of God before they can exercise their faith. Because faith walked by love. We don't know it more than the early church. They said even distribution was made. A widow has six children. They can't eat food. You are saying you are not a giver. Give from where? Should she give us all? <laughs> Show her the love of God first. Then faith will come alive. And when faith comes alive, you don't need to coerce her. Because now she knows that God cares. And anything that enters her hand, she will give. And when she gives, it will be given back to her. But she needs to see the love of God first. This is what makes us disciples. And trust me, if the church in Africa will become strong, it will not begin with prophecy and healing the sick. That has its place. But if the church in Africa will become strong, we need a fresh baptism of love. And again, this is not to endorse people who have chosen the way of iniquity. But I'm talking about the love of Jesus that reaches out to those that should be and can be saved. That's the first mark of a disciple. In Acts chapter 11 verse 29, the Bible said, Then the disciples, every man, according to his ability, determined to send relief unto the church in Judea. They heard that the church had problem. It's not their congregation, no. It's not their denomination. People began to donate things according to what they have. So that they can send gifts to those churches to be stabilized. But in our own churches in Africa here, all the resources go to headquarters. Meanwhile, there are churches that are in warfare zone. Nobody is sending anything there. All the resources go to headquarters. Because it's only headquarters that God is. The Bible said what? They sent relief materials to churches that were in need. It's the way of disciples. And I'm not saying they are, they are, they, we don't have churches that they don't send from headquarters to. But I'm talking about predominant happenings. Most of our teachings and our operation is born out of lust and selfishness, self-centeredness and self-preservation. And that's why we are not representing Jesus to our generation. Are you following this? Are you following this? Is there anything wrong in connecting by faith to what God is doing? No. They sent gifts to Jerusalem. But at the same time, there has to be equity if there is love amongst us. The first mark of a disciple is love. Ask yourself, 
How many persons are in your heart now that you are carrying as a weight about, which is slowing you down? Somebody offended you six years ago, you see in your heart. You look at him, you say, This person, unless Jesus appeared to me, you are a joker. You don't want to go anywhere. If Jesus died on the cross, his blood was spilled, and that's not enough to make you forgive. And Jesus still needs to come back from heaven to tell you to forgive somebody. It means you are not a Christian. What he did on the cross is enough to let go of everybody. Jesus said, if your brother offends you 70 times, 7 times in a day, forgive him. Peter thought it was 7 times. He said, if my brother offends me 7 times, should I forgive him? Jesus now said, no, it's not 7 times. It's 7 times, 70 times, 7 times. That's 490 times. And that is one day. Imagine if that brother is with you for 10 days. <laughs> to give you an idea of the propensity of love. That's why you must be trained to be a disciple. And when you are being taught as a disciple, the first thing you will learn is forgiveness. is love. is long-suffering. is patience. is goodness. is kindness. is temperance. is generosity. If these things don't return to a very large extent, our Christianity is big. Today, if somebody gives five quarter, he wants it to be announced in the whole church so that everybody will clap. So even those who are giving, are giving to be honored. There's no love in their heart. That's not Christianity. The second mark of a disciple is fruitfulness. Fruitfulness. I'm showing you this so that you understand what impact is in the kingdom. In John chapter 15 verse 8, this was Jesus talking. He said, Hearing is my father glorified. He said that you bear much fruit. He says, so shall ye be my disciples. I told you, for you to be impactful, what must happen? Your life must glorify God. Your life must transform men. And your life must stop the devil and his agenda. That's what Jesus is saying. Hearing is my father glorified. He said that you bear fruit and that your fruit abide. If you are a disciple of Jesus... One thing that will be a burden in your heart till you leave this world is so winning. Your day is not completed until you have won a soul. Your week is not completed until you have won souls. A meeting is not completed until souls are won. Jesus said that is how the Father is glorified and that is how you are known as a disciple. So if your life is not producing fruits, if you like, be ordained an archbishop, you are not a disciple. Because it takes fruitfulness to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. If you understand this, you will pray for soul winning, you will plan for soul winning, you will give for soul winning, and you will go out for soul winning. Because this thing is not about the church. It's not about filling an auditorium. The reason we bring them to church is so that they too can be disciples to do the same. Because the formula is to win, to build, and to send. Because the soul is not won until that soul too is winning souls. So the reason we bring them to church is so that they can train them to become like us. But for you, your primary assignment is to make sure that anywhere you go to, people are one to God. That's why God left us on earth. That's why we were given power. In Acts chapter 1 verse 8, it says, Not many days from now you shall receive the Holy Ghost and power. Not for you to become a big man of God. 
He says, so that you'll be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, in Samaria, in Judea, and in the uttermost part of the earth. That means wherever you go, be a soul winner. In Matthew 28 verse 18, he said, all power in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He said, you go in that power and disciple all nations. And he said, lo, I will be with you always, unto the end of the age. I'm telling you, you have pastor's conference. Sometimes 300 pastors gather. Ask them, how many of you have 150 souls this year? You'll be shocked. That the whole, they think the whole thing about pastoral ministry or being called is to have a clean auditorium. Where you snap pictures and put on Facebook and you are dressing and posing in a certain way. If a man is a disciple, there is no title that stops him from going out to win souls. In fact, it is not enough for him for others to win. Him too will go. If you find disciples, every week they are on the street looking for souls to win. It's either they go for organized conferences or they organize their own conferences or they go out for one-on-one evangelism because they know that is the heartbeat of the Father. Jesus didn't come to die because we are many. He came to die because he wanted to save man. And if it was one man that was on earth, he would have died. Because that's how important souls are to God. What do you think God paid to redeem souls? Is his blood. So when you are asking for the worth of a soul, is the blood of Jesus. That's what God was willing to pay. You think God can give his only begotten son for something and he takes it for granted? What then is the point of coming to church from January to December if nothing happens in your heart to go and win somebody? It means you didn't know why you came. It's a hearing. Is my father glorified that you bear fruit and he said, then shall ye be known as my disciples. If you want, let's take a chance to see it now. And ask, how many people have won 10 souls this year? You will be shocked. I'm not saying 1 million, say 10. How many persons have won 10 souls? You'll be shocked. Meanwhile, this year, everybody sitting here has spoken to at least 100,000 people. This is October. You talk to people every day, but you cannot point 10 souls that you have won. And then they say, God wants to give mantles. You too came out. That mantle, that mantle, that mantle is a mantle that will take you to heaven. Because your stay here has no relevance to God. I'm telling you, these things look funny. Listen, if you become a disciple, hmm, you will pray for world evangelism. When they tell you people, somebody has died, the first thing that will come to your heart is, was he saved? If you come into a territory and you look around the people, you are wondering... Is, where is the opportunity? You are looking for opportunity to save souls. If you get an appointment and a job, you are not running there, going to sit on your seat and say, my office is good. As you are walking into that company, you are looking around, looking for opportunities for soul winning. That's what dominates your thought. Anywhere you come to, you are looking for opportunity for soul winning. You are praying for it, you are planning for it, you are strategizing for it, you are giving for it, and you are sold out to it. Those are the markers that you have been discipled. Discipleship is not about sitting together in one, one discipleship training program. No. There are marks. Do you have body for souls? If you don't have it, if you read about Jesus, the Bible said Jesus went to every village and every city. Every village. I think that's Matthew chapter 8. Check that scripture for me. He went to every village and every city. Preaching the gospel of the kingdom. 
So long as you tell Jesus there's a village here, he's going there to preach the gospel. Every village and every city. And he did that until the day he was arrested. But we, it's not even part of our program. How many of us here, to be honest, start our week and we plan days for evangelism? Just take a retrospective assessment. You'll be shocked that for some of you, even in a whole month, there is no plan for evangelism. But when you find a disciple every week, there are times and days apportioned for soul winning. He goes out specifically for it. Every month, he can tell you how many times he will go out. And he has weekly targets, he has monthly targets. This week, I want to win 10 souls. This month, I want to win 100 souls. And that's one of the things that will make him happy at the end of that month. Thank you, Father. In fact, Paul said he raised men to God as an offering. So when he comes to the end of the month, he's going to check his soul winning diary. Huh? I wanted to win 100, 170. Next week, next month, I must cover up. And he shifts it to 150. So that he can cover up the 30 that he didn't win last month. And that's how he's living till the end of the year. That's a disciple. And that's what it means to live for God. In Matthew 9, 37, hear what Jesus was talking to his disciples. He was pouring his bodies to them. He said, then said he unto his disciples, the harvest truly is plenteous. He said, but the laborers are few. He said, pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. So you are not just praying for the souls. You are also praying to God to raise soul winners. Because when you look at it, there is so much to do. Men are few. That's the burden of a disciple. We have reduced ministry to an organized, you know, system. Package ourselves in a certain way and the ruggedity of the work has been lost. Today, if people say they are on fire, they think fire is just to hold microphone and lead prayer in church. Somebody says it's on fire. He, when they are praying, it's not even praying. The moment they give him mic, hello, Kopoko. It's his pride. He wants you to know that he's a prayer champion. There's no way you'll be on fire and you'll be buried. Being on fire is not just about praying. Being on fire is also about soul winning. When a man is on fire, the burdens of God becomes his body. And one body God has any day, any time is soul winning. That's kingdom. And it's the second mark of a disciple of Jesus Christ. If you have been trained, soul winning will be one of your top priorities. Where they train me from, they call it God's business. And everybody wants to be part of God's business. So there are threefold agenda. Pray for souls, give for soul winning, go out and win souls. That's how we were trained. And that's why till today we can't rest. My meeting, I can't travel out or go outdoor for a meeting and not ask my people how many were won. It's not enough that people have a call. Write the number, give me. I want to know how many. When we had meeting on Monday, I asked him how many souls were won. He said he couldn't count. I said, why did you come with me? No matter how plenty, give me an idea. Let's know what we are doing because that's why we traveled all the way. Why did we fly for over eight hours? If we cannot add anybody to the kingdom. That's why we came. That's what made our journey relevant. Because our harvest to God from Zambia are the souls that we present to Him. 
And if we will travel to the ends of the earth, we will do it. To get souls into the kingdom. The Bible said in Proverbs 11, 30, it says, Him that winneth soul is wise. In Daniel chapter 12, verse 3, it said, They that turn many to righteousness shall shine like the brightness of the firmament. So one of the things that brings out the glory of God in us is the body for soul winning. Even the giftings of the Spirit will not be strong in your life except as you begin to minister to souls. It's a mark of a true disciple. Number three, what's the third mark of a true disciple? Self-denial. You can't be self-centered and claim you are a disciple of Jesus. No, you are not. Every disciple is taught selflessness. If you have passed through the school of discipleship, one of the badges you will come out with is selflessness. And I show you from scripture. Jesus was speaking in Matthew 9, 24. He said, then said Jesus unto his disciples. You will notice that all the scriptures I'm reading, the word disciple is what is used. It's not for the crowd. It's not for the multitude. It's not for the members. It's for the disciples. And if you want to check the size of your church, don't make the mistake of using Sunday morning. You will be airing. If you want to know the size of your church, go and check your video and check when you go out for soul winning. That's the size of your church. Church can be 2,000. Go for soul winning, there will be 25. So your congregation is 25, not 2,000. <laughs> the remaining people are strangers. They are users of God. They came to receive miracle and go. They are not part of God's, cities, of God's kingdom. We don't know. We, we come on Sunday. Every chair is filled. We say, God is helping us. Church is growing. Church is not growing, no. More strangers are just coming. If you want to know if church is growing, go out for evangelism. Those who are able to leave everything and go out, they are the church members. Because these ones have the burdens of Christ. They have been transformed. Don't you know that even Jesus' church were 500 members? Multitude came for every crusade. When Jesus resurrected, the ones that stood were 500. 500. And that's a big church. And those 500 were willing to die for him. Because they had understood self-denial. None of them went back. They were willing to die. Because when you become a disciple, the mark is self-denial. Matthew 6 24, Jesus said to his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. So if you don't deny yourself, you can't be Jesus' disciple. And in case you don't know what it means to deny yourself, he went further to explain it in Luke 14 26. He said, If any man will come to me, he said, Let that man hate his father, hate his mother, hate his wife, hate his children. Hate his brethren, hate his sisters, and his own life. He can, else he cannot be my disciple. He said, whosoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciples. Hate your father does not mean go and build hatred with your father. It means prioritize me above your father. Prioritize me above your mother. Prioritize me above your wife. Prioritize me above your children. And prioritize me above your own life. That's what it means to carry your cross and follow me. If anything is more important to you than me, and if there's anything you can leave me for, then that thing is your God and you have lost your discipleship. Because discipleship 
is self-denial. I will talk about self-denial later in the evening so I won't go further. But this is where the doctrine of the kingdom begins from. It begins from death. If you want to teach people kingdom, you begin from death. Because God must kill for God to make a life. The power of resurrection cannot work unless there is death. And so if you want to teach people kingdom, you will always begin from self-denial. And that is what makes a man a disciple of Jesus Christ. I'm telling you today, the reason many compromise is because they don't love Jesus above everything. They have not understood self-denial. So the guy can compromise with money because he's thinking of his preservation. He can compromise with anything and everything, any day, any time. When you become a disciple, your glory are the badges of death that you carry. Many grounds where you could escape, but you choose to bow your head and say, if it's for Jesus, I will die. The apostles knew this thing so much that they were not only trying to deny Jesus when they were caught up in a circumstance, they were looking for danger. And they want to prove our loyalty to Jesus. In Acts 15, 26, the Bible says, Paul and Barnabas, he said, the men that hazarded their lives for the sake of the gospel. So if it is Jesus, did you not read the life of Paul? When Paul wanted to talk about his credentials, you will think Paul will say, I've been an apostle for 20 years, I've raised the dead. He said, no, that's not, that's not a credential. Every disciple should do that. He said, I have been in a shipwreck. He said, one and a half day, I fell into the deep. He said, I was flogged 39 strokes three times. He said, I've been in prison many times, in fasting. It was the grounds of self-denial that Paul used to rank himself. Because only disciples can go that far. When you meet a Christian, he's looking for what he can take from God. But when you meet a disciple, he's looking for what he can give to God. That's the difference between a Christian and a disciple. And that's what makes a disciple a man of self-denial. And if you will be a prince in the realm of God, it will be because you have mastered self-denial. And I can tell you, many Christians today don't know that. The Christianity they taught us is self-centeredness. So even when we want to tell people to come to church, we tell them there will be sharp prophecy. There will be miracle. There will be breakthrough. We deliberately mentor them into selfishness because we are not raising them as disciples. So all our miracle services are packed. All our prophetic services are packed. But anyone that there is no promise, nobody comes. But in the early days, every day you come to church, you can be killed. They were meeting inside caves and in rocks. And they will arrest somebody, kill him. The next day, they will go to church. An American preacher traveled to China some years ago. And the video is online, you can check it out. And when he went, he wanted to have pastor's conference and he met with about 25 pastors or so. I can't remember the exact figure. And when they called him for the meeting, he thought that uh, they were going to have the usual American meetings where you teach for one hour, people go and take coffee break, people drink tea, come back, and do another one hour and they go home. When he came for the meeting, these people were, were being hunted. So the place where they were meeting was a very tight room. There were no chairs. They all sat on the ground. So when the preacher got in, there was not even enough space. He could barely stand. And then he started teaching. So when he started, he asked them, um, how many sessions do we have today and when are we going for break? They said, there's no break. It's from 8 a.m. to 7 p.m. 
They say, we want to hear, we want to hear every word of God that you came with. We don't have enough time to go for break. Break is waste. We have you, we have you for only three days. So we don't need break. <laughs> so they sat on the floor, no air condition. They sat on the floor from 8 a.m. to 7 p.m. That was when the pastor knew that he was the wrong preacher that came. Because even him don't have that passion. <laughs> what are you saying? Say no break. And then he started teaching. He now said, read from First Peter chapter this verse this. He came with uh, 18 Bibles. He gave them. They were about 25. So Bibles were not enough. So one gave the Bible to the other person. When they say read this chapter 1 verse this, people will read of heart. They will say read seven verses. They will read the whole thing. Revelation, Zechariah, Jeremiah. Ah, what is happening? You know, wait, so wait. Do you people know the whole Bible? They now said, yes, yes. In China, if you are caught preaching, they take you to prison for three years. And so when we are in prison, what the church members come to do is that when they come to visit you, they bring one page of the Bible. So you have to memorize it quick and eat it. Because if they arrest you, they can kill you. So they, they kept, if you are there for three years, people are visiting every week. They are bringing one page. You eat it and chew it. You read it and chew it. You read it and chew it. You memorize it. So that's what gave them joy in prison. So now that they have come out, they know the whole Bible. The man now says, how many of you have been to prison before? 18 people out of 25 have been to prison. And they were not afraid. They still came for the meeting. That's self-denial. They came for the meeting. People who have been to prison. He said, what if you are arrested again? They say, our jail term will be longer. So any Christian meeting they came for, they stood the risk of another arrest. And they still came. When the man finished and he wanted to go, they now said, please pray for us. Pray for us so that we'll have the freedom you have in America. Where we can go to church when we want. The man said, no, I won't pray for you. He said, you pray for me. <laughs> he said, in America, we have big churches with air conditions. Nobody comes. He said, every family has an average of two Bibles. Nobody reads. He said, in America... People won't come to church until you arrange for tea that they will take during break. You have sat here from morning to night. Nobody drank water. He said, we don't need, you don't need to be like us. He said, we need to be like you. Because you are disciples. Even this meeting that we are talking here, stay here for two hours. People will carry their bags and start going. Meanwhile, some of them will go home and watch movies. It's not like they are going for a meeting. They are going home to watch a movie. <laughs> and we say we want to take this word. Do you know that the principality that fought with Moses and Paul are still here? Are you aware that you are not fighting a new demon? It's the demon that killed Stephen. It's the demons that fought Paul that are here. Some of them left Israel to Zambia. They have met Paul. They have met Barnabas. They have met Peter. People who died for Jesus. Fought them. You who is sleeping from morning to night. You woke up. You say, we will take them there. Do you know what you are saying? <laughs> they will look at you and say, who is this clown? Do you know the people we have fought? The day a demon talks to you, you will be shocked. He will tell you, I met Paul in Damascus. You, that's when you will know the people you are dealing with. You don't know the beings. You think some new demons appeared. That's why you think Christianity is a joke. 
Some of the demons and principalities you are dealing with, they met Jesus. You'll be shocked that the prince that met Jesus on the Mount of Temptation is moving from nation to nation. And then you have a crusade, that demon is coming. Jesus fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. He stood before him and asked him questions, if you are the son of God. You, 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 you wake up from watching a movie. You, you come for the crusade. You say, now God will move. And that demon comes. If you are not careful, when you lift your hand, you paralyze on the earth. We don't know what. Do you know what? It, do you see? We don't know. The, the Bible says the devil is prowling like a roaring lion. These beings are at war. The devil doesn't see what we are doing as business. He sees it as war. That's why Paul said, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. This thing is war. You are the one who thinks church is cliche. It's war. It's battle. And these people, these beings you are fighting, they were fighting from before the world began. Because some of them fell from heaven. Some of them have been to the throne room. They have seen God in His glory. Those are the creatures that are manipulating your nation. Those are the creatures that are trying to take territories. You think you can come before them and they will, they know your great grandfather. They can profile you. If three of you are standing, they can tell you your own lineage is lost. Your great great grandfather suffered loss. Your great grandfather suffered loss. Your grandfather suffered loss. Your father suffered loss. You too have lost in you. They can tell you before they start. And they can fight you for 30 years until loss brings you down. Because they know this thing is in your gene. You can't deny it. They can look at another person and tell you your great grandfather was proud. Your father is proud. You too must be proud. This is why before you become a disciple, Jesus will kill you. So that when the devil comes, there is no point to enter. He will kill you so that those tendencies will die. When the priest is now come, they will know they will be shocked. Because when they look at you, they will say, Ah, the last the diary we have of these people, this lineage, all of them have, have lost the money. What has happened to this one? He has become a disciple. He has died to money. They come, they say, Ah, this lineage, they have lost, they love fair women, they love dark women. Well, what is wrong with this one? He has died. So when a man is a disciple, God kills him. Because when you die, no appetite survives. Have you seen somebody who drinks beer and then he dies? You go for his burial and he say, give me one star first. No. When you die, appetite dies. So Jesus will kill you before he makes you a disciple. So that when the devil comes, there is no place to enter. That's when you will become powerful. You can bring glory to God, you can influence the generation and you can attack the devil. Because when he comes... What he looks for are your weaknesses. But when you have become a disciple, you have died. And so you surrender those weaknesses. If you want to be a disciple of Jesus, you must come to him naked. And say, oh father, oh father, when I look at the women, my body comes alive. Help me. Oh, when I see money, I become evil. I start thinking of how to take it. Help me. And Jesus will carry you through your own cross. So that they will crucify those at the appetites. And when he crucifies them, you will come out with your own scars. And so when the devil comes and brings money to seduce you, you will show him your scar. I also died with Jesus. That's why Jesus said, you must carry your own cross and follow me. When he comes with women, you will show him your scar. Me too, I was hung with Christ. Jesus showed me the way I walked with him. You can't find any harvest in me. 
That's what makes you a disciple, self-denier. We are too full of ourselves, our ambitions. And when the devil comes, he looks for your appetites and he rides on them. And if he sits there, he will get you. But if you become a disciple, you will die to them. The top mark of a disciple is self-denial. Time is gone. God will show us the rest. <laughs> My God. Don't joke. See, Christianity is not story, though. It's walking in the spirit. And when you are walking in the spirit, you walk through death so that you can come into life. That's how the path is. God will kill and then God will make alive. Every disciple understands the doctrine and the life of self-denial. If there is still something you hold on to tight, you are not a disciple. If you meet a disciple, his hands are open. Anything God wants, he can take it. He owns nothing. Everything belongs to Jesus. Nothing. So when the devil comes, there is no room for bargaining. Because he has lost everything before the devil came. That's how disciples operate. And when you see the apostles, you will see it. Imagine that this man, apart from the fact that they traveled at the risk of losing their families, when they were about to kill them, not one wrote letter to his wife. An apostle is traveling, they want to kill him. He won't say, oh wait, let me write my will, my first son, uh, my wife, let me tell her I love her. When they are in danger, they write letter to Colossus. They write letter to Philippi. They write, they write letter to Rome. They were more interested in God than personal things. And most of them were married. But even their wives knew that these men are dead men. So when you don't hear from them again, they tell you, he has gone to heaven. He knows that you will know that we will meet in heaven. That's how disciples work. In our world today, even the army that works for our government are more sold out than we who say we are working for Jesus. A soldier can go to battle for six months and he will fight until he comes back. Even his wife will be waiting for him. But if a preacher travels for one month, they will say family will break apart. Because it's selfish people that marry selfish people. There's no self-denial. If it's a soldier, you can understand. But if it's a preacher, you can't understand. And we want to move the kingdom to the next level. Go and read church history. It will change your Christianity. There were some men that were arrested because they had copies of the Bible. They hijacked their children. We will kill all of them. Bring the Bible. Because they want to destroy the Bible. And they will not say it. They will kill the wife, kill the children, and they won't talk. And they will burn them alive. Their hope is that let the Bible get into the hand of one more person. So that the next generation can read the word of God. They were not even sure. But for that small hope that somebody else can get the Bible, they are willing to die and lose their family. That's why they are called disciples. If this our generation is the first church, church would have ended in the first century. <laughs> Elohim Adonai. <laughs> Elohim Adonai Elohim Adonai 
ಲೋಹಿ What is that thing that is still more alive in you than the Holy Ghost? You will have to drop it on the altar so that you will go back as a disciple. For some of you, it's not even seen. I used to be a football fan. I was a national fan. Oh my God. I knew the records. When God came for me was when Asana was at their peak in 2004. We won 39 matches on 49 matches on beating. We we played the whole league within lose the match. The club that had that record before we surpassed it was Nottingham Forest. Nottingham Forest had 42 matches on beating. We crossed them and went to 49. So we were the reigning champions. We won the the double FA Cup and Premier League and so we had the bragging right. When we show up then if you start talking we start bringing record we start bringing record <laughs> it's not this board they are watching now we watch Tony Adams we watch the Ray Palo when Asna was Asna you can't argue with us then the Holy Ghost came and said you can't watch football <laughs> I'm not fornicating sir <laughs> now there's nothing wrong with football but Football became a God and he can't share his glory with any other deity. But there is a deity of football that had been enthroned in my soul. He said, you can't watch football. <laughs> and we were already seeing the next generation because that was when the Atiri Henry were coming on the scene rightly. <laughs> the Aviera. We were seeing the next future that we were transiting. He said, you can't watch football. I dragged with it until we won FA Cup 2005. It became a law. And I had to die. I had to die. Because you can't be a disciple if there's another God in your heart. If the God of one is there, if the God of lust is there, if the God of any God that is in your heart stops you from being a disciple. Every disciple has mastered self-denial. That's what makes you one. This morning, you will drop those goals on the altar so that you can impact your generation. See, we are gifted. The last mark of a disciple is power. And I will talk about power in the night because we will do some impartations. But you see, that power cannot glorify God unless you pass through these rudiments. Love, self-denial, fruitfulness. You must see these things. These are the things that bring accuracy to your calling. Because they are the priorities of God. If you don't know God's priority, you will misuse the power that He has given you. The priorities. That's what makes you a disciple. Self-denial. Is there still a God in your heart? This morning, if you have anything you want to drop on the altar say Jesus only come let's pray you can come to the altar Elohim what is wrong with Papa ask him what's wrong with him 
Don't be distracted. Keep coming. We are doing a serious thing now. What's wrong with Papa? What we are doing here is more important. Let's go to the back. Take him to the back. I'll pray for him at the back. Come forward. This one is more important. I'll take him to the back. I'll pray for him there. Anything that is competing with God now, drop it. When I come in the evening, I'll give you the three remaining marks. But for now, self-denial is the junction where the Holy Ghost has brought us. Can you ask the Lord? I surrender it all. I surrender it all. I surrender it all. Nothing will compete with your glory in my life anymore. Help me, Lord. 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 I surrender it all. Help me, Lord. Cry to the Lord now and tell Him to help you. Elohim Adonai There is no part of the world today that is more gifted than Africa. These are some of the limitations we have. There's no law, there's no desire for fruitfulness and productivity, and we are too self-centered. It is in Africa that witches are only good at killing their family members. They are not thinking invention, they are not thinking creativity, it's to kill. Because of the wickedness of the heart. If we will trust God this morning genuinely to drop everything, you'll be shocked how your life will change. You don't know what you carry. Some of you are so gifted that the world will literally rush at you because of what you carry. But there are things blocking it. Can you drop those things this morning? Father, I let go. Father, I let go. If you were blessed by this message you just listened to and you wish to make Jesus your Lord and personal Savior, kindly repeat the prayer after me. Dear Heavenly Father, I believe in your Son, Jesus Christ, and that he died for my sins. He was raised from the dead for my justification. I, therefore, confess with my mouth that Jesus is the Lord of my life. 
I receive eternal life into my spirit. I am born again. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. If you just said this prayers, congratulations. You are now a member of the family of God. Kindly send us an email. Prayer at EncounterJesusMinistriesInternational.org You can also visit our website at www.EncounterJesusMinistriesInternational.org God bless you.